We just declare this. Holy, holy, holy. miracles Lord we see you as you move every day as people pray and as people seek your face you move Lord and a little baby Lord you you look at that little baby and you say you will live and the baby is alive that's our king that's our father he's holy so let's declare that this morning holy 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 holy
Still you let them live 
My focus is on Jesus. And I walk towards Jesus, no matter the chaos. I walk to Jesus, and you calm the storm, Lord. Our focus is you, Lord. We love you, Father, King of kings. Though the oceans may roar, but my King is with me. I'm never alone. He's in the battle with me. He's in the fire. Yes, yes, we're never alone. Father, we glorify you this morning. We glorify you this morning. Though oceans. Though oceans roar, you are the Lord of all. The one who calms the wind and waves makes my heart be still. Though the earth gives way, the mountains move into the sea, the nations rage. I know my God is in control. We glorify you, Lord. As we stand here, Lord, we glorify you. morning everybody it is such a privilege for me to be sharing with you this morning uh, we're really excited about this living on the frontline series we we really believe it has the potential to to change and to change our hearts and so as we engage with the world around us in our front lines we have an extreme opportunity to do that during this season so we're really excited about it and so welcome with us um, yeah I hope you enjoy uh, the word this morning um, have you ever thought about this, that each of us has been gifted with 24 hours? Uh, doesn't matter how rich, old, young, old, uh, which era you were born in, uh, each of us have been gifted with 24 hours. You cannot bargain those 24 hours. You can't sell it to somebody and buy it from somebody. Everybody has 24 hours gifted to us by God. Uh, what an incredible uh, opportunity it is for do, us to do things for the Lord in that time. Um, it follows then that also that we each have 24 hours, but we also have seven days in the week. And that equates to about 160, well, to exactly 168 hours in a week. Each of us have 160 hours, uh, 68 hours. If you are responsible with your sleeping, uh, if you get seven to eight hours of sleep a night, uh, that equates to about 56 hours of sleep. So of the 168 hours, you sleep about 56 of those. It leaves us plus minus about 110 hours that each of us have to, to do things. Uh, we're at church this morning, um, so that's maybe about two hours. Uh, you're sitting at home watching this, but, but uh, about two hours. Uh, maybe you're involved in a community group. Uh, I want to encourage you to get involved in a community group. It's a, a way that we really discipled well. So perhaps you spend two hours in a community group, and perhaps you spend another hour, perhaps, um, volunteering somewhere in the church with our ministries or, or helping out somewhere. So that kind of takes five hours. So if we have 110 hours, we minus the five hours we're involved in church things, uh, that leaves us with about 105 hours to do things, to live our lives, to live on our front lines. 
And so this series of living on the front lines is really about what does it look like to live a life that glorifies God in those 105 hours, those remaining 105 hours where we're not sleeping and we're not doing church things. Uh, what does it look like for us to, to live life well in those areas? Uh, Lee Archibald says the following. She says, truth, the truth is we spend 50% of our working hours at work. Many of us spend more time with our co-workers than we do with our family members. And certainly we spend more time with our co-workers than we do with our pastors. Some of you are saying, thank goodness for that. Uh, if we're not living at our faith, at our everyday jobs, we're not really living out our faith. And this front, living on the frontline series is about how do we do that well? And how do we take this, this time that we've been given to, to uh, live it for God's glory in the world around us? Uh, Letitia kicked us off last week uh, with uh, uh, modeling godly character, and she did a superb job of sharing about how the gifts of the Spirit are expressed when we live with godly character, uh, that we live with uh, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's really anchored in the, the, that it's motivated by love, that when we do, we, we model godly character, we do it from a place of deep love. If you've uh, been in Hatfield for any length of time or you've watched us on, on, online, you'll see, and if you've heard Louis speak, uh, you, you know that we're obsessed with triangles. And one of the, the, the big triangles we use all the time is our discipleship triangle. And in the Discipleship Triangle, we have uh, three points to that. The first one is our up journey. It's our relationship with the Lord, that we love Jesus, that we're in relationship with Jesus, that we, uh, that we engage with Him, we, we spend time with Him on a regular basis, we spend time worshiping Him. And so that's our upward journey, and it's a communion. We have communion with Father and, uh, through, through the Spirit, and we do that. Then we have the inward journey, and that's about community. And again, that's how we engage God in his wisdom, puts us in a family, this, this family called the church, this mysterious body that God calls his body to bring about truth into the world around us. And he puts us in community in an inward journey. And then finally, we're called to the out uh, on a commission to, to make a difference in the world. To, so we live from a place of out, we, we live in community and we call to, to reach the world around us. But whenever you see our triangle, you'll see a little word in the middle and it says love. And we really believe that, that all three of those elements, the up, in, and out, need to be motivated from a place of love, from a place of, because we really care about this, this world. We, we love the Father, and because Father loved us first, and, and we express that love in community, and we live in living, uh, and loving relationships in community, and because we go into the world, to this place that, uh, that Jesus came, incarnated himself into the world, uh, because he loved it, we are to do the same. We are to take the gospel and to take the Great Commission to all the world, to change the world, to make a difference. And so this is really, this living on the front lines is, is from a place of motivation from love. And so today we're going to talk about making good work. What does it mean? So we model godly character, but we also, we make good work. What does it mean for us to make good work? And what is our motivation? And what is the Lord expecting from us as we make good in the world? And to kick us off, we're gonna, I'm going to share a short uh, video clip with you just from somebody in our community who kind of really exemplifies a very beautiful story. And so we're going to watch that short little clip now, and we'll come back and we'll share some thoughts around that in a minute. Let me share a story about someone in our community. It's 6 a.m. on a Monday morning, just like every other weekday. The Baal children, Khumulemo, 
Peño, and Kumo wake up to the smell of baking. They never get tired of the comforting fragrance of bread that coaxes them out of bed. Down the passage, the kitchen is a happy hive of activity. The children's mom, Zelda, has been awake since four. That's when the work at Fresh Manor Bakery begins. Measuring, mixing, kneading, rising, as batch after batch of bread loaves and buns are baked in Zelda's oven for sale to people and vendors across her neighborhood. But there's more to it than just the hustle and bustle in her kitchen. Zelda realizes that her work is not only about earning an income. It's also a way of serving God and others. She also knows that while bread sustains the body, we need something more to truly satisfy our souls. Because Jesus is the bread of life, may the people who come and buy from this place get to experience Jesus in some way because you realize people need healing in their bodies. People need healing for their souls. People have a lot of challenges and problems. But then when we speak, and especially when I get to the mix here, I'm like, Jesus, take over. May you pour in your Holy Spirit into each and every loaf that's going to be sold here today so that your people can get to experience you. And so in Fresh Manor Bakery, each day starts with a prayer and an awareness of the Lord in the heat of the kitchen. When vendors arrive to collect their orders, it's clear by the way she engages with them that Zelda's work goes beyond making a good loaf of bread and that the love and care with which she serves form a part of the work that she does. And the neighbors know that too. Buyers linger a little longer, smile a little wider as they engage with Zelda. In these uncertain times of lockdown and looting, bread has often been in short supply. Fresh Manor Bakery has become a little haven for the neighborhood, a place where fresh bread is reliably baked every day, always sold with a loving smile and words of comfort when those are needed. A place to find sustenance and hope. And Zelda, while well, she's become a beautiful expression of working as unto the Lord, and that everything we do should be motivated by love. She understands that when we make good work, we are serving God by serving others. What a beautiful story. Uh, Zelda's story is so beautiful. I absolutely love watching that. She's got such a sweet spirit and uh, so I'm doing fantastic work in her community as we saw. And so we're going to share some thoughts around what she, from her story, some lessons from her story in a short while. So we're really excited about that. So the question is, um, the first question I want to ask you is who do we work for? Who do we work for? And one of our key scriptures for today is from Colossians 3 verse 23 to 24. Uh, in that scripture it says the following. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since we know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since we know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. What incredible scripture. A little bit of context to the scripture. Paul's writing to the church um, in Colossians 
and uh, he's addressing, uh, this is a particular church that he's actually never visited. Um, so he's actually never been to this church. He's got feedback. He's actually in prison at the moment. He's got feedback on what's happening in this church. And it's, it's, um, it's encouraging to him. He says, wow, that's great. And, and he's addressing one or two problems that have crept into the, the church, um, church there. And um, later in, in, in chapter 3, he actually starts addressing and he starts to uh, unpack what it means to live in community. And he addresses a particular, uh, uh, gives a radical vision and idea about what a Roman family could look like. In, the, in those days, the Roman family was a deeply patriarchal society where the father was everything. Uh, the wife was subservient and she did whatever she was told to do. The children were nothing. And then you had slaves working in that household. And uh, the problem that happened now in this church is you have a situation where families are coming to faith. They're finding Jesus. And how does that work? How does it work in a family now where you've got people that, that now they, they were uh, pagan, now they are Christians? And how, what does a Christian family look like in the Roman context, Roman family context? And so Paul's addressing, and he first addresses uh, the husbands about how you should love your wives. Like Jesus loves the church, and you should love your wives. Wives, come under your husband. Submit under there and, and love your husband. And, and so it kind of upends the model. Then uh, Paul writes to the children. He says, children, obey your children. But then he addresses the father. He says, hey, but fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't cause them frustration. Um, and he kind of upends that model. And he says, in the, in the household of Jesus, those things are different. It looks different now. And then we had a problem of we had slaves working in households. And so what does that look like? Suddenly you had the, the people were slaves underneath their, their, their owner. Now suddenly they were fellow brothers in Christ. Now, what does that end? And so Paul's addressing those, uh, those slaves in that society. And he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so in that context, he's saying is Jesus is the Lord over that household, whether you're a father, a children, a wife. Jesus becomes Lord if you're working in that household who are you working for? You're working for Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's your inheritance. He's who you're working for. And so he upends and he gets this revolutionary in the context of what was shared that this is quite revolutionary. This is a different way of thinking. It was kind of like very strange. You guys are a strange bunch of people living that way. And so this is the context which Paul is speaking to. He says, do whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. So when we work, we're doing it as our act of worship. To him, it's unto him that we do it. We don't do it for our boss. We don't do it for our lecturer at home. We don't do it for our parents. We do it as our act of worship to Jesus because he's the one who will give us the inheritance. Now, I need to give a quick qualification here. When I talk about work, I understand in, a, in a, people watching this this morning, there'll be many different kinds of folks here. There'll be some that uh, are stay-at-home moms. There'll be some of you unemployed. Some of you are bosses of companies. Some of you work in, in, work in government or, or um, in a school or wherever you find yourself. Um, I do want to say is when we talk about our front lines, uh, what we're really meaning is not those who just work. It's wherever you find yourself. It's that place of potential and, and possibility where you find yourself on a daily basis. That's what we're called to do is to bring the front line into those spaces. So it's wherever you find yourself tomorrow, that's your front line. 
But the principle is whatever we do, we do it as an act of worship to him. Whatever we, wherever we find ourselves tomorrow, um, tomorrow's voting day, so you need to vote. Uh, but if you, if you um, on Tuesday morning when you're in your workplace, wherever you find yourself, you find yourself working. Um, so here's a question that I want to ask you is, how would you do something, for, do something for somebody that you really love? I remember when Renee and I started dating, I was a... Uh, I like to think of myself as a hopeless romantic. I would write her love letters and my neatest handwriting. Um, I would do like wrap presents further to a perfectly done. It reminds me a little bit of Renee often asks me to do stuff around the house, and I have a reminder of this quote: uh, "If a man says he'll fix something, he will fix it. You don't need to remind him every six months." Um, so it drives Renee crazy when I say that. But <laughs> it's not the kind of work, the love relationship that I'm talking about. When we do things, we do it because we love somebody. We want to do it for passion and because we want to do it with excellence. We give the extra care. We pay attention to detail. We're meticulous and diligent. We double check and we put the extra amount of effort in. When we do that is when we serve Jesus, we do it because we love him. Because we know we're doing it unto him. Um, the second thought I want to share with you is that we are created to do good works. Uh, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says the following. We are all God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, there's a couple of things here. First of all, we are made by God. We are his handiwork. He created us. And we'll talk about creation in a minute. But we are created uh, by God. Uh, we, are, we have created to do good work, so he gives us the abilities, the things that he's created for us to do, and they were created before time, so he actually has tasks and things that he's created us to do, he's given us the ability to do them, and he has things that he wants us to do. We do all our work unto the Lord, but he has tasks for us to do for him, and so when we talk about work in our front lines, is, is to remember that we do it, and we, we are created to do good work, that's what we're created to do, in the very beginning, we are created to do good works. Uh, Eugene Peterson said this, I love this quote, uh, work doesn't take us away from God, it continues the work of God. And so as we, as we live on our front lines, we're not, uh, that's apart from God, it's like that we go to church on Sundays, those five hours when we church churchings, those are when we're with God, and the rest of the week is, takes us away from that. Eugene Peterson saying is, no, that's actually, we, when we do that, we're actually doing the very things that he's called us to do, is it to, to live out our lives, to do good work in our daily lives on a daily basis. Um, I want to talk about the gift of work. And many of us think, oh, no, work. I just, there's a big signboard on the way home uh, that says over the road, it says retire at 35. And so many of us, where this idea is that our goal is to retire as early as possible so we can live life large. But gift, the, the work is really a gift that God gives us. Uh, it's a gift that he gives us to, uh, it's given to us right before the fall happens in the very creation story. Um, I, uh, my kids love Minecraft. Um, they, they, uh, they spend lots of time on Minecraft. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I actually have a secret uh, uh, little world in Minecraft myself, which every now and again I go and I build stuff, and my son James joins me and we build stuff together. Um, now, probably some of you are a little bit older. I know some of you sitting at home, there's going to be a bunch of you going, nodding, yeah, I know Minecraft, my kids. For those of you a little older, what is Minecraft? Minecraft's like this online world, this virtual world where you can build. It's an unlimited world. It carries on forever. 
uh, where you can build things. You have all the, the things, it has weather, the weather patterns and day and night, it has different materials. You go and you can mine and you can craft tools, you can make houses, you can do all kinds of farming and it's this virtual world where we create this world it's, um, and it's a virtual world. In the same way God creates a virtual world for us, he creates this world, this earth that he's called us to and he gives us the tools to do that. In Genesis 1 verse 28 to 30, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the earth. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit in it and seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath, on it, breath has breath of life in it, I give every green, uh, green plant for food. And it was so. Have you ever wondered in the creation story why uh, God makes Adam right at the end and not in the beginning? So you kind of think is, uh, in the beginning, God created Adam and then he starts creating it's not the story we hear. We first hear that he creates a light and then he separates the water from the sky. Then he creates land and he puts plants on the ground and then he creates night and day and then his birds and fish. And then finally he creates animals. And then right at the end of the sixth day, he creates man. Why do you think that is? What I like to suggest that is because God's creating an, a home for people. He's creating a place for them to dwell. He's creating all the raw materials uh, so that they can do the task that he's given them to do. What is that task? It's to work it, to be a steward, to, to, to change things, to take the raw materials and, and to, to multiply and to, and to take this place. And he creates this world. So he spends six days creating and then he, and he puts the human, in, uh, Adam, into that space and he says, now this is your home. What a loving father we have. He creates this home for us, this place for us to work. And he, he creates this earth. Uh, it's a gift for us to work. And it, he gives us the place to do it. And he gives us a task to do to change the world around it. And that's, that's our loving father. He, our loving father passionately loves us. And he gives us this place. In the same way, uh, Minecraft is open world. You create whatever you want to. God creates this beautiful world for us to change and make a difference. I'm a huge Elon Musk fan. And uh, I have a friend who was in school with Elon Musk, and already went in school, Elon was already talking about occupying Mars. And I think he might do it in his generation. But a couple of weeks ago, I was um, at a Noriletta Nature Reserve in the bird hide there. And I was looking out over this, in the bird hide, just enjoying the Lord and connecting with the Lord, looking out over this, this beautiful little section. I felt the Lord whisper this to me. There's this, this little 50 square meters of real estate has more biodiversity than all of Mars and our whole solar system. And I felt the Lord say, why would you want to leave this planet that I've given you? I've given you this world to occupy. And uh, why, would you, why would you want to go occupy somewhere else? I've given you this place. And so God gives us a gift of this beautiful place. And he's called us to work it and to make a difference in this space. So the question is, is, is all work good? So we're talking about making good work, but is all work good? And that's a good question. Uh, John Mark Comer in his book, Garden City, said the following. So we're not just called to any kind of work. Some kind of work doesn't do this at all. Some work is destructive to the earth, to the human brain, to the economy, to the family, to the developing world. We're called to a very specific kind of work. 
to make a garden-like world where image bearers can flourish and thrive, where people can experience and enjoy God's generous love, a kingdom where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kind of world we're called to make. Pastor and author Tim Keller says something similar. He says, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive and flourish. Theologian John Stott said the following, expenditure, good work is the expenditure of energy, either manual or mental or both, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community and glory to God. God's, we expend the energy, we take the energy that God's given us, whether it's mental or, or physical, we expend it for the benefit of others that brings fulfillment to us. As when we do that, we feel fulfilled. It's like, man, I was called to do this. Uh, it benefits the community. And then lastly, it brings glory to God. We, we celebrate and we say, this work is for you because I've given you this work to do. And so the kind of work that we're called to is good work that benefits the world around us. I remember reading about a 17th century Carmelite monk called Brother Lawrence. Some of you have read his little book, Practice the Presence of God. It's a, it's a selection of letters which he wrote to a friend, unbeknownst to him, after he's passed, passed away, his friend put these into a, a little booklet. And uh, we can, you can still buy it, it's a bestseller still. Uh, and it's about how he learned to practice the presence of God. And he worked uh, as, as a cook in a, in a monastery. I remember reading a paragraph from that book and being blown away the first time I read it, and it was this. Uh, he said he was peeling potatoes, because he was a chef, peeling potatoes, and he said that was his act of worship. Uh, he saw every little thing that he was doing as an act of worship. It was unto Jesus. He was doing it because he loved Jesus. He wanted to do it with excellence, just peeling potatoes. And so the same way, not all of us are called to change the world, to, to run companies, but all of us have small tasks in everyday lives that he calls us to do. Even if it's peeling potatoes, we're called to do it with worship and acts of, uh, to love him. It's, going, it's like going the extra mile that you, on a task your boss has asked you to do. It's being kind to the person that brings you tea. It's developing a system that makes life easier for everybody. It's loving the children in your classroom. It's greeting people at the smile at reception. It's uh, double-checking the safety data to ensure the product you developed is safe. It's not selling a product to somebody because you know they don't really need it, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the small acts of goodness that we do in the world around us that God calls us to do. Dorothy Sayers said the following, and this is really what, as a church, why we believe in this and why we're breaking this paradigm, but she said the following, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that your religion makes upon you is that you should make good tables. And just think of our carpenter, Lord Jesus. Can you imagine him making a shoddy table? No, he was making brilliant tables. A scene from the Passion of the Christ. For those of you who've watched that, where he has a flashback to him working in his carpentry and he creates this table and he looks at it with great pride. And so we, we echo that thought is whatever our carpentry is, whether it's working in an office or, or um, doing manual labor or making food for a spouse or, or whatever it is, we do it, we do it excellent. And that's the first calling that we have. So what, is, what does good work look like? 
Now, the first, as we heard from Letitia last week, and I'm going to quote Mother Teresa, she said the following, Not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. And echoes really what Letitia shared last week is we do it from a motivation. And if we do everything, good work is always going to be motivated from a position of love, from a motivation of love, because we love the Father and uh, we want to express our worship to Him through the things that we do. In Genesis 1, we find two significant thoughts. The first thought is that God himself worked. As we see, he worked for six days. God himself is a creator. He works, and then he rested on the seventh day. So God himself is a, is, it works. Secondly, is that we are made in the image of God. We are made. So God says, I'm, I make Adam and Eve. I make them in my image. I made mankind in my image. Therefore, if God is doing work, we are called to work as well because we're made in the very image of that worker. We're called to work. It follows then that the, the kind of good work that God calls us to do would be consistent with the way that God himself works. And we find that pattern uh, in the book of Genesis. We see God works in a certain way. And there's certain principles about how God works that we can learn from. And so what I want to do quickly is just to go through five principles of what good work could look like. The first one is that good work creates order. And we, again, we see this in Genesis 1, from 1 to 31. We see there's a, a sequential order to how God creates things. Uh, he first separates the, the sky from the earth before he makes fish and birds. And so he creates and he, he, he first um, ensures that there's food for man before he creates man and the animals. And so there's a sequential pr process of in creation. I want to suggest that, that any good work that we do would create order. It would be the restoration of how, of how things should be, how they think things in the kingdom should be. And so when we create good work, we are doing it, that it does in a way that creates order. The second uh, principle is that it generates provision generates provision. We see this in Genesis 1 verse 21. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. God, when he creates, he does it, it creates provision for people or things. It creates provision. Um, and he gives man every living creature to eat. And it's a form, it's his, he gives them food and things that he, they need to sustain themselves. When we create good work, we make provision. And again, we'll break that down in a minute, what that looks like in our daily lives. The third principle is that uh, good work brings joy. Uh, we see this in Genesis 1, verse 31. God saw all they had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. When he looked at creation, he said, man, I like this. There's like a sense of joy that rises up in Father's heart. He looks at it and says, man, this is awesome. Have you ever thought um, that Father God is the most joyous being in the whole universe? He is just joy personified. He loves, he's passionately joyous. And we serve that God. And when things, God creates things, he does it from a place of joy because he wants to and he loves it. And the same way, we are called to be uh, carriers of joy into the world around us. Part of joy is also because God has, is called, uh, wants to be in relationship with us. There's a joy for him in being relation, in relationship with us. Um, have you ever wondered why a God, if God is omnipotent, can do anything that he wants to, why he doesn't just snap his fingers and do it himself? Well, I wonder if it's not because God is a relation, relational God by his very nature, He's relational and he could, yes, he's sure he could snap his fingers and everything would just, just happen the way he wants it to. 
but he wants to do it in partnership and in relationship with us, his children. And so he, he, he's relational by nature and he wants to partner with us. So anyway, so he, fourth one is he creates beauty. I love this scripture, Genesis 2 verse 9. It says, the Lord made all kinds of trees of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So God creates this, <laughs> this earth and he said, it is beautiful. Those of you who've been in nature recently, man, just the joyous, like he creates beautiful things. We're called to do the same, to create beauty around us. And we'll talk about how that can look in a minute. And then lastly, it releases potential. Good work releases potential. In Genesis 2 verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. God places you and he says, I want you to take all these things. I release you. Go into all the world and release the potential of the world. Good work releases potential. So what would that look like? Let's go back to Zelda's story quickly. Let's kind of break down those five, those five principles and look at Zelda's story and how she's doing those things. So the first one is creates order. Did you notice how everything in that video, everything in her kitchen was perfectly in order? Did you notice how there was a sequence to how she was making things? That there was a, that there should, first there was a mixer and she poured the flour in all the ingredients that it mixed and then she covered it and left it for the yeast to, to, to move through the, and, and to do its work. And then there was a cutting, she would cut those things into exactly the right size blocks. Um, and there was an oven and there was a packing process and you saw methodically all the loaves were lay, laid out and there was plastic bags. You saw there was a kind of order to that, wasn't there? It was kind of, she was creating order in what she was doing. Beautiful. Second one, uh, creates provision. Um, Zelda provides food for the community around her, as we saw in the video. She, she provides. That what she does, the work that she creates, helps others to do their things. Um, what's not in the video and it's alluded to in the video is during the riots early in the year in, in, in Chwani, she provided food for people who didn't have in that community. Yeah, on our doorstep. She was providing out of the abundance of what she had, she was able to bless other people. She provides food for herself, money for her family, uh, for the people that work for her. She's generating provision. Third, it brings joy. It's very difficult to have joy when you're hungry. And so when she's able to have full tummy, she's creating joy for those around her. She, she does it with great joy. Um, just a thought. Can you imagine taking one of those beautiful white loaves and cutting a nice thick slice of that warm out of the oven, covering it with lacquer butter, a nice thick layer of butter and some apricot jam and eating that. I'm, some of you are salivating right now as I'm sharing that. It brings joy. What she's doing is that's going to create some really great joy, in my heart at least. Uh, creates beauty. Do you see how good those loaves look? They were perfectly baked, exactly how they should be. They were things of beauty to see those loaves of bread. It releases potential. Um, the reality is bread is made up of four ingredients. Water, salt, flour, and yeast. Four ingredients. Now, I don't know how many... Uh, Water, you can drink. It sustains your thirst. It does not feed you. That doesn't feed a st hungry stomach. I don't know about how many of you have eaten a bowl of flour lately. It's pretty disgusting. Uh, yeast, I'm not even sure what yeast raw tastes like. Um, and salt, eating bowls of salt really doesn't do it for me. But when you combine those four ingredients together, it releases the potential in them to create food. It's something new has been created from four ingredients, which by themselves are very unappetizing. 
combined together in a certain ratio in the right sequence creates something that releases potential. And so she's releasing the potential of those ingredients. Um, so she's doing that wonderfully. So she does all these characteristics. Now your turn. I want to talk about you now. In, in two days' time, on Tuesday morning, when you're back in the office, uh, in, in 48 hours, or even tomorrow, maybe you're working tomorrow, you need to, to do some stuff, or you're staying in a queue in a shop or whatever, uh, what, is, what does it look like for you tomorrow to do these characteristics? Create order. And a couple of questions I want to ask you is what you're doing uh, on your front line, uh, does it bring order to the world? Are things easier to understand, or does it bring order from complexity? Does it remove confusion? What would that look like? It could be an accountant balancing the books. If you're cleaning a room, that's a mess. It's ensuring safety regulations are adhered to. It's a mom changing a diaper for the fourth time that morning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's creating order. The second one generates provision. Um, how does your job provide for others? Does it, help them, does it help them in their job? Does it provide a fair wage? Examples. Is, are you paying the person that will clean your house a decent wage? Is it providing for your staff the resources they need to do their job well? It's doing a task you're responsible for well so that others can do their work because you, your work's been given, etc., etc., etc. What does it look like in your context on your front line? Does it bring joy? Uh, is what you're doing bringing joy to the world, your workplace, your business, and your home? What, it look like in, what could it look like? It's doing your job without grumbling. It's smiling at a colleague that is perhaps struggling at the moment. It's bringing a cake to work for no reason to share with your colleagues, et cetera, et cetera. What does it look like in your context to bring joy into those spaces? It creates beauty. Is what you're doing good? Does it add to the world or to your workplace? Does it, or does it take away? Does it restore creation rather than take away from creation? What could that look like? It's coding a clever piece of software that helps everybody. It's painting an office with a fresh paint of paint. It's picking up rubbish on the sidewalk. It's writing a well-ordered assignment, well-worded assignment for your lecture or for your, for your university class, etc., etc. What does it look like in your context to create beauty? Releasing potential. Is what you're doing releasing your potential? Does it release the potential in others? Does it create something that was, wasn't there before? It could look like this. It's a brainstorming session where you think of a more efficient way to do something. It's upskilling yourself uh, in a new computer program. It's coaching some, one of your, your soccer students in dribbling like Lionel Messi. It's releasing finances for a new project that has the potential to change everything in your company, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What does it look like in your context? It's that simple. Each one of us are called to create order, to create provision, to bring joy, to create beauty, to release potential. We are called, we are tasked to do good tasks in the world and we do it as our act of worship unto Jesus because he's called us to do it. And we do it from a place, a motivation of love because we, we love Father, but we also love the world that God's created for us to, to be part of and to, to use those hours that he's given us to love the world. So in conclusion... Um, I want to just share a thought from uh, the life of King David in a prayer. Uh, King David's one of my heroes. I, I love his story. And we know him as a shepherd boy, a musician, a soldier, uh, a leader, and finally he becomes a king. Uh, and in Psalm 78, uh, it speaks about this transition. It's a very clever little psalm passage from shepherd to king. 
It says the following in verse 70. It says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. David was a young shepherd boy. He was doing the most menial of tasks. As the youngest child of Jess, he was tasked to look after the sheep. Then he was tasked to carry things to his brothers on the front line, and his journey progressed from there. But he started off at the very low. But how did he do it? It goes on to say in verse 72, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. Very clever little subtle thing that the scripture does. This is he was shepherding the sheep and then he became the shepherd over the people of Israel. And this transition happens. And how did he do that? He needed to do two things. And picking up from last week's uh, word, he did it with integrity of heart. He modeled godly character and he did it with skillful hands. He, he, he did good work. He was skilled in what he did. The same, we, you and I are called to the same thing. We are called to have integrity, to model godly character, but also we're called to, to, to use skillful hands to serve him. We're exactly the same. God calls us, whether we're doing looking after the sheep, the, the lowliest, or we're the king of an organization. We're called to do the same thing with integrity of heart and skillful hands. And I wanna, I wanna spend just a moment just to pray for you. Um, we're called to do the same thing. We're called to make good work as our act of worship because we love Jesus. Um, and wherever you're sitting right now, I want to ask you um, to put your hands out as a symbol of skillful hands. I want to ask, I want to pray for you that you would, uh, that, that God would bless your hands, the work that you get to do, and that you would be able to do good work. So if you want to close your eyes with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for placing here as on earth at this moment to do your will. Thank you that we get to do good work and we get to do that as our act of worship to you. We do it unto you. We want to do good work because it brings you glory. And Lord, as we place our hands out before us, I pray, pray for every one of us that you would bless our hands, the work, the symbols of our work that we get to do, that you would bless us. Bless our hands. Bless the work that we get to do. Help us to do good work for your glory because we want to worship you in Jesus' name. I pray finally, may you do good work. May, the work, may your work be your act of worship to him. May you know the joy of partnering with God in his redemptive purposes in the world. And finally, quoting Psalm 90, and may the favor of the Lord rest upon you and may he establish the works of your hands. Yes, establish the works of your hands. Amen. Amen. Go out into the world, make a difference, make good work. Um, we're called to do it. What a great joy that we get to do to partner with Jesus in doing that. We do it unto him. Bless you. Um, one final thought. Uh, we, As a little reminder, you'll find on all our social media sites, uh, you can go there. Uh, there's a little prayer that we want to actually give you. And you can print that out. You can put it on your, your dashboard of your car, wherever you want to put it. And it's just a, a prayer of consecration to remind us about these five things. So you'll be able to find that on our social media sites. Uh, we'd also love to hear any of your stories. Uh, if you have any stories about people who are making good work, whether it's you or something that you know, please send us those stories. We'd love to maybe make a video of you one day like we did with Zelda. Uh, the email address you can send that to is talktous at hatfield.co.za. 
talk to us at hatfield.co.za. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you. Thank you very much.